At the well, Jesus saw the depth of the heart of a broken woman and loved her into conversion and mission. Likewise, we long to encounter the one who loves, redeems, and fulfills us, and you're invited to join in. This is the podcast at the well. Welcome back, everyone, to season four, episode 10, and we are on the fifth sorrowful mystery, the crucifixion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as always, we'll start with a prayer. So I will ask Erica if she can lead us in prayer this episode. Thank you, Rachel. For this prayer, I will be using an excerpt from Psalm 69. So as I pray through this, uh, maybe you can imagine our Lord thinking these thoughts on the cross and verbalizing these in his heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Insults have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. Almighty God, grant that by the merits of the passion and death of your only begotten Son, you may bring us new strength, for our own weakness brings nothing but failure in the face of so many difficulties. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Erica. So this is going to be a huge undertaking, I think, this week. Um, Being able to talk about the crucifixion is not an easy feat. Um, I think both Erica and I have been talking through as we prepare for this episode, and we just want to state a disclosure at this point, because we know um, not only are we not diving fully into this mystery, because we just can't simply comprehend how incredible this mystery is, but we truly are just providing some of the reflections that have been revealed to us in our private prayers and just some of the thoughts that have come out of our conversations as well. But we hope that you also can have time to sit and reflect. And this is something that the saints have done over the years and throughout the course of their lives, really reflecting on the mystery of our Lord's death. And the passion of Christ is one that Christians have meditated on and is a source of strength and is a source of faith and love. And everything that we believe in rests in this mystery. We can spend a lifetime and eternity probably meditating on. So this by no means in a 25 minute episode, are we going to ever cover all of this, but uh, we're going to do our best to share with you what we're reflecting on in the present day at this present time. <laughs> so yeah. And and, and I, I think it would be really troubling if we could fully comprehend everything that the crucifixion and death of our Lord has to teach us maybe in a lifetime, but certainly in in one episode, right? So I think there's actually something humbling about knowing that we're treading into something so mysterious and so awe-inspiring. Definitely, definitely. So just to start us off, I think that it was interesting that in our reflections or individual reflections, I tended to think about the crucifixion as from the point of time where Jesus was nailed to the cross and his experience in agony through that period of time until he actually died. 
and a lot of Erica's reflections were actually upon his death and what happened in, in that moment and thereafter. So, and, and what all of this means. So I think that having said that, there's something to spending time in both of those places. And hopefully you can join us in that today. For myself, when I was actually thinking about what it actually meant for Jesus to be brought to Golgotha, the place of the skull. I remembered hearing, I believe it was Dr. Brent Petrie explaining what this place actually was. And it was a place outside of the city that the Romans would actually bring people who received capital punishment out to be killed. And if they were outsiders and not from Jerusalem, they would be crucified. And if they were Romans and they were from Jerusalem, then they would be beheaded. And so that's how the place of the skulls kind of came to be because they would leave the heads to rot in this place. And so I thought, wow, like, first of all, after all the torture that he's gone through up until this point in time, he's now going to this place where he knows his death is coming and everyone who's coming with him, his followers, knows what this is coming to as well. And especially his mother, her sorrow is eternally united with her son's sorrow. When he gets there, they strip him of his clothes to humiliate him even further. If you think about the the way he's going to die, this is the most humiliating possible way anyone could die. And it's also the most cruelest way that anyone could die. As they make him lie on this cross that he had to carry himself, they now start to hammer these nails into his hands. And nails back then were not the kind of nails that we have today, where they're nice and smooth and shaped by the manufacturing company. Like these are are probably rusted and jagged every which way you're going to feel every part of that nail going into your bones and crushing your hands as they hammer it in and your feet. In particular with Jesus, the nails are significant because they didn't normally nail. It was a special cruel punishment they reserved for him. Normally they would have just hung him there and he would have died from starvation and dehydration eventually. But in this case, they wanted to quicken the process. And so this is what they did to our Lord. And the crucifixion begins at around 9 a.m. and closer to noontime. When his breathing is more labored, darkness comes over the whole land. And it becomes a very, very dreary scene. Um, If this place itself wasn't dreary enough, it gets even worse. And when we think about Jesus being the light of the world, we now see the light dimming and the world getting darker. Where there was once this light, this bright light in this world, the world is now losing that light. And around three o'clock, the gospels tell us that Jesus cries out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this actually comes from Psalm 22. And here is where David is actually feeling as if God has left him. And, you know, a lot of people have this conversation that this is where Jesus thinks that God has left him alone to deal with all of this. It's actually Jesus still in the last moments of death fulfilling scripture. 
because even within that psalm, it talks about a cruel punishment that we know that David actually didn't go through. This is actually a foreshadowing of what they were due to the Son of God. David expressed when he said, Yea, dogs are round about me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my raiment, they cast lots. We know that David didn't get his hands pierced, (laughs) his feet pierced, but this is this foreshadowing of what's going to happen to the Son of God. And there's more and it continues. But in the end of this psalm, if you keep reading, you realize that God was there with him the whole time and that he's going to deliver him from all of this. And Jesus, being true man and true God, allows him to represent the human condition, to express things in the way in which humans would. However, he's true God in that only he could be that ultimate sacrifice to be the one to take upon our sins, to be able to allow death to be defeated by this cross. And I think Erica will will be able to kind of expound on that a little bit more, but I just wanted to kind of start off with that as a jumping point for what we're discussing today. And I'm really glad you went through the details of that Psalm of David, just to show, like you said, that David didn't go through those things. Instead, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that psalm because he, as the son of man, will go through all of these things, the things that Isaiah's suffering servant will go through, right? So I I really like how you pointed out too that there's so much that we can learn from that line. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You rightfully showed us that if he's true God and true man, He is united to the Father wholly. So certainly even at this moment, the Father has not abandoned him, right? But I like to think that when he echoes those words, he alludes to the human condition that we all will feel probably at some point in our life, which is the feeling of God forsakenness or the feeling that God has abandoned us. Though he has not and though he walks with us, It's actually beautiful to see how Jesus gets to the depths of God forsakenness and echoes that feeling just to show us that there is no place that God cannot reach and there is no sentiment that could actually separate us from God. Mm, That's really beautiful. And I think, Mother Mary, you know, you can almost imagine this perfect creature that God created, this beautiful woman that we all know she is. And yet she too joins Jesus in this awful place, in this awful muck of where the human condition has has gotten to. This scene, it's got to represent the most ugliest period of time when we can kill God. Mother Mary, the perfect creature, and Jesus, who is true God and true man, being placed in this ugliness, in this God-forsakenness, really, as Bishop Barron likes to call it. And it's just like, you think about that and how much they are suffering in this moment just to save us. When we continue through this story and we see that at the moment where our Lord expires and he breathes his last breath, we hear from the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the whole earth just shakes. 
and the curtain or the veil of the temple is torn into from top to bottom and rocks are split. These images of God's creation torn apart and everything just in shambles. We see that in this one moment of death. And we also hear in the Gospel of Matthew that as this was happening, the soldiers themselves who crucified him and who had been torturing him could now look up at the sky and say, truly, this man was the son of God. It's so true when you talk about the earthquake and the rocks and the temple curtain being torn in two. I think in so many ways, the natural order of the world is being destroyed because the supernatural order has been destroyed if human beings could put God to death. Supernatural things and natural things are all disrupted because the unthinkable has happened and the world in its ultimate dysfunction has been shown if human beings can kill God, someone who is completely innocent. The virtue associated with this mystery is the pardoning of our sins. And I think that really leads me into some of the thoughts that I had just when I, like you said, scraped the surface of this mystery and all that it contains. Um, I really liked how you focused on elements of Jesus and his last words and the reflections that Mary would have had at the foot of the cross. So the first thing that always really strikes me about this particular mystery when I think about the death of our Lord is, why did he have to die? There's so many salvation-based reasons and theological reasons why God had to come to the earth and not just come to the earth and even pass away but be put to death violently in this manner because his death was going to be the fulfillment of his life and his mission. So one of the things that really strikes me is 1 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that he became sin who knew no sin. For our sake, God made the one who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And just to pause there, I wonder if you've ever reflected on that, even before we get to how we become the righteousness of God after he rises and destroys death, what does it really mean to become sin? And how do you enter into the depths of sin so much that you become it? And that that way, when you die, sin actually dies. So these are the kinds of mystical concepts that always, you know, permeate around my mind. And they definitely come up every Triduum and every Good Friday. And just to offer a few insights into these questions, which I think are too dense to be answered very simply. I've been really struck this week by reflecting once more on Bishop Barron's Stations of the Cross. I highly recommend it if you haven't listened to them on YouTube. He has these wonderful meditations on the 14 stations. And they're actually quite theological in explaining these really, really big mysteries about the faith, like why Jesus had to die and what his death accomplished. So something that Bishop Barron offers is that he says, Jesus became sin and entered very deeply into the human condition of sin, because for centuries, human beings had this entire weight of sin on them. And this weight of sin could not be dealt with from a distance. Instead, if it was dealt with from far away, if God just kind of zapped away all the sin, he makes an argument that it would not have really been conquered. 
someone rather had to actually fully submit to it and implode it from within. And this is really the only way this could be done. And I was grasping at trying to think of some examples of this, right? Why do we have to get so close to something to actually thoroughly destroy it? And I was kind of left thinking about sometimes from TV, these police shows where in order to actually destroy criminal activity, sometimes cops have to go undercover and enter into the heart and depth of organized crime and a band of criminals, sometimes even pretend to be one of them, so that the problem can be dealt with at the root and it can actually be destroyed. And in the process, this is just a small example, but in the process, it can be really confusing because the police officer can feel like they are taking on elements of the crime themselves, right? Never really dabbling in it, never succumbing to it, but just trying to get to the heart of the matter so it can be destroyed. Um, Likewise with diseases, right? I can think about all of the healthcare workers and people who have made breakthroughs and scientific discoveries in order to actually eradicate a disease, they've had to understand the depths and the interior mechanism of the disease. And in the process, at times, risk infecting themselves just so that they can actually destroy something from its root. Bishop Barron actually talks about the ministry of Jesus and how we can see all of these really meaningful ways that he doesn't just engage with sinners or minister to sinners, but he gets right into the depth of their sinfulness so he can elevate them to something greater. So one example that I couldn't resist borrowing because it's the namesake of our podcast is his interaction with the woman at the well. In his interaction with the woman at the well, nothing is by chance. He finds himself tired from the day's journey to Samaria. And he actually, we know he's tired because he sits down and says, give me a drink, right? And he's entering in that moment into all of her daily activities. He's picked this moment because he knows that she comes to the well purposefully in the heat of the day to avoid the other woman. And so he really, really gets into the inner workings of her life. And St. Augustine actually offers another insight and says, when Jesus asks for a drink, he's mirroring the fact that he is tired from his incarnational earthly journey in becoming human. And he is tired of entering this much into human sin and dysfunction. So much so that he actually says to the woman, you come to this well every day and yet you become thirsty again. So he's saying, you keep going to these things that can't fill you. And the more and more I try to become like this, the more tiring sin is, right? It's an empty void it never really satisfies what it promises to fulfill. And I think there's just this beautiful exchange of, as Jesus continues to reveal more and more about her, right? Her her five husbands, her views on who the Messiah is and when he's coming. He really shows her through the most intimate way possible that he wants to know her and even know the depths of the sin she has succumbed to. But This is only so that he can open her eyes up to the living water that brings her eternal life. And he wants to bring her to that well that won't disappoint. Um, And this is why I think she really leaves this encounter wanting to evangelize and wanting to spread his word, but also leaves this encounter feeling fully known, like someone has understood her to her core and then elevated her core 
to who she was truly meant to be. So that little anecdote, maybe um, if you if you like St. Augustine's interpretation, just shows you the lengths that God is willing to go to, to enter into our condition without succumbing to it, without falling into temptation, just so he can destroy it. And another similar analogy, there's kind of a joke that Catholic shows can't resist alluding to the Lord of the Rings. But I do think this is graphically presented very well in the Lord of the Rings, because Frodo, who was chosen for this mission to destroy the ring, has to bear the weight of the ring and wear it on his person. And you can see him at moments seeming like he's becoming Gollum, right? Like he's totally going over to the other side. But he only bears this terrible weight and takes this all the way to Mordor so that he can finally destroy it. So in the process, he really just enmeshes his entire person in the identity of the ring, gets as close as he can to the sin, does not commit it. And he becomes a very Christ-like figure in the foreshadowing of that. Wow. It's been a while since we reflected on the the woman at the well on the podcast. So that was great too. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Like I think, Erica, that was great. I think that it helps to know and to be able to relate to all of what you were saying in that if you even look at your own life, assuming that if you're listening to this podcast, you are seeking God and you are experiencing a conversion in your own heart, then you will also know that the sins in which you either were around or the sins that you might have been participating in yourself are typically the ones that you can actually help others in that same situation find healing for. And again, it's that diving into the sin without allowing it to overcome you in order to help, in order to love others into a transformation. And so this is exactly what Jesus did in this moment. And when we come to the foot of the cross and we see the son and the mother staring at one another in this deep moment of pain, we see both of them with full knowledge of this being God's will, continuing to allow it to happen so that for the greater good, for the world, things may get better. All of this is leading to this moment in time where Jesus allows himself to be crucified for us. And so that pain is only to be comforted later in knowing that out of love and out of God's love, we are all saved. Exactly. And I think if we can, by the wisdom of God or by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrap our minds around the fact that he became sin and put all sin onto himself, then it does naturally follow that in order to destroy sin, he had to be destroyed. And so he shows us very importantly in this mystery, the crucifixion and the death of our Lord, that he doesn't just overcome sin, but the last enemy to be destroyed will be death as scripture tells us, right? So um, Bishop Barron has an additional insight. You can clearly tell I listen to him a lot, uh, that uh, he has an additional insight that death and the fear of death are actually at the root of all sin. They stand behind some of the intentions about why people sin at all. So he argues that Jesus had to journey into the realm of death, the final enemy of human existence, and even with this enemy, twist it back into something that 
is life. This strange paradox of a battle plan of the Lamb of God, he's different from any other superhero who tries to destroy anything, is that he conquers death by actually dying and then showing us that even in death, we are not separated from the love of God. And even in death, we are not separated by life. And I think that when you talk about Mary, Rachel, and her extreme grief, I think really beautifully to what she will feel three days after, which is the extreme joy at the resurrection. And she, along with the saints, will be able to say, death, where is your sting? You know, death has not won. It is not the end. And I do think that in very tiny ways, these kinds of reflections help us encapsulate why Jesus had to become sin, why he had to take on all of our sin, and then why he had to die so that we could live anew and put to death sin in ourselves. And the fact that we're looking upon his cross and as he's on that cross crucified, we no longer could ignore the fact that we are broken and that there is something wrong and that we need to change that. And that is why that cross, that crucifix becomes the symbol of our faith because he took what was broken and he made it new. And it's a choice. Whenever we look upon that crucifix, it's a choice that we have to make. It is clear between good and evil that it exists and that we have to make that choice. So when we wear it, let us not forget that. When we look upon the crucifix, let us not forget. It's not just a sign for us to look at. It's not just a piece of jewelry for us to wear, but it's actually to remember the sacrifice that God gave his only son for us. And we now, with our free will that we were given, have to choose between the good and the evil in our own lives in order to not make his death meaningless, but to actually remember the sacrifice. And then we ourselves are called to sacrifice. We are called to make the right choices in our own life so that we too can unite our lives to God's will. So I guess that would probably be our practical takeaway to make the right choices. And if we're not sure what those right choices are, we can continue to read scripture, which points us to those right choices. And if we look at the Beatitudes, which we read not long ago during this Lenten season, that is the instructions for us on how we are to live. There is a good start as to what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. And we can follow our Lord's life, follow him to that cross to really know what choices we are supposed to be making. So. Absolutely. So <laughs> at that point, as we usually end, uh, we will reflect on our God incidents that have come up in this past week. And uh, for me, actually... I think I had a different God incident at first, uh, but then Rachel, as I heard you just talking about Good Friday and the paradox of the cross, I thought back really fondly to my sister telling me about something that her son did this week. So my little five-year-old nephew, as he begins to delve more deeply into these mysteries of the faith, was just saying to her, mom, why is Good Friday called good? I mean, that's the day he died, right? So it should be bad. And, uh, you know, it, it's such a powerful question, actually. And obviously, in, it's a very in, good question. It's, it's a very good question. <laughs> exactly. And, and obviously, in the ways that his 
five-year-old brain could comprehend, my sister was alluding a little bit to the paradox of how it has elements of, yes, death, but it is very good when we think about what was accomplished and why he died uh, and all that is possible because of this day, right? So yeah, I'm I'm grateful for his reflection and I hope that it's a question I'll keep asking myself this triduum and every time I look at a crucifix. What about you, Rach? Yeah, I think for me, my God incident actually was during daily mass, one of the responsorial psalms. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and he heard my voice. And it instantly reminded me of pivotal moments of my life where God heard my voice and he heard the distress in my voice. And when I called upon him, he answered. And it really brought me into this moment of pure gratitude and this moment as well of remembering in humility just how little I am, just like how weak I am, how I myself could never do any of this without him. Wow. To be able to not allow anything to overwhelm me and not to be afraid and to be courageous, I need to reach out to him. To be who he wants me to be, I need to be able to rely on him and his goodness and his graces and his love and his mercy. And it just reminds me that during these times of consolation and desolation that we go through, how you have to kind of keep some of these moments of consolation with you. So when you're going through those valleys, when you're going through these moments of desolation, you're reminded of these moments of pure consolation when he picked you out of the pit and saved you and brought you to a different place and was able to transform you from within so that you can continue and move on and stay the course. I guess I just really am thankful that God loves me enough, that he loves me the way he does, that never will I be alone, that never will he allow me to be overtaken and that he is always going to be there for me. All I need to do is call for him. And he answered. And so, yeah, it was just a nice moment of reflection on my life in general. And just these moments of pure consolation where he's just given me so much. So I guess after our God incidents, as we normally do, we'll move into our final prayer, which is our Hail Mary, as we ask the Blessed Mother to intercede for us, as well as for all of our listeners, and for all the faithful, and for those who need it most. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we thank you for journeying with us through the sorrowful mysteries, and we hope you have a very blessed Easter Tridium. And we will take a brief break after the Triduum from recording, but rest assured we'll be back because very early into the Easter season, we will be releasing the glorious mysteries for you to reflect on, just because the timing of those would cohere really nicely in the season of the resurrection. Great. Thank you. Bye. God bless. <laughs>